you're welcome. This particular channel will be devoted to reviewing 2023. One day at a time and a week per episode. If you feel like sharing anything, by all means, that's what this is for. And if it's related to any of the discussed topics of the episode, all the better. That's what this podcast is all about. So please come find us on Instagram on Let's Review with Layla and You. I will be dropping promotional posts accompanying the episode to start the conversations. And give you all a place for some reciprocation. So let's kick it off with some global news on January 9th, Monday. The Chinese army has conducted military exercises near Taiwan for the second time in two weeks because all the tensions surrounding America, Russia, Ukraine, the United Nations, and just basically the whole freaking world wasn't enough. China had to pile on as well. And on the Brazilian insurrection, it's been said remarkably little has been done to stop the demonstrators. The big question is whether this has been imposed from above. According to President Lula, this points to ignorance of the military police in the district, but possibly also to due to unwillingness. The Brazilian military police is notorious for its toughness. They're known as the deadliest police force in the world. Huh. Sounds eerily familiar to some other country we know that had an insurrection not that long ago. I'm just saying. Speaking of that little gem, the American government made an oopsie in erecting a monument to fallen soldiers from the Korean War, the war from 1950 to 1953. Of the over 36,000 victims carved in granite, 1,260 appear to be misspelled or completely wrong. Awkward. Lützerath, Germany has been occupied by activists for more than two years to prevent the expansion of the existing Garzweiler mine. There are only a few houses left and the original inhabitants have long since been bought out by RWE, which also owns the village. Hmm. Company owning a village. Nothing shady there. According to the company, coal extraction is necessary for energy supply. Germany is still very dependent on coal, especially now that Russian gas is being supplied considerably less due to the war in Ukraine. Yes, because before that, climate change had nothing to do with that. Evacuation of the village is necessary because it's in danger of disappearing because of mining. Currently, the village is occupied by climate activists. I have a great deal of respect for you, but I'm very sad to say if the company already owns the majority of this village and Germany sees itself as desperate, yeah, this is not gonna go well, or in any way, shape, or form, well, for the environment, and thus us, because we live on this planet. To continue along those same lines, last summer, about a third of Pakistan was underwater due to unprecedentedly heavy monsoon rains and melted glacier water after a heat wave. At least 2 million people became homeless and 1,700 people died. The floods destroyed nearly half of all the farmland in the country and it killed a million animals. Climate change has been blamed for this extreme weather. Pakistan wanted the big polluters to help pay for the country's recovery, well, yeah, and dozens of countries are now responding to this. Pakistan has received billions in financial pledges to repair the damage caused by last year's major flood. 40 countries promised to donate 8 billion euros to the country. Well, it's a nice start. But uh, this is only the tip of the iceberg, no pun intended, because like I said in my previous episode, we are experiencing now the weather conditions caused by actions we took 30 years ago. So this really is only the beginning. We're going to see a lot more of this. We are all, every single person on this planet in the next 30 years are going to suffer from extreme weather due to climate change. And we're going to see an increase amount of environmental refugees. On the note of our consumerism, it has been 16 years since the first iPhone came out. Woofta. Imagine how many smartphones we've had since then. Yikes. A new Tennessee law will require drunk drivers who kill parents to pay child support. I can get behind that. According to NASA, there is no life on Venus. So many jokes to be had right now, and yet, no. Well, no. Hmm. I wonder if y'all got some ideas. 
There is no duchy news this time, of note, anyway. But unfortunately, there is some sad news from our neighbors in Belgium. An 11-year-old girl dies in a shootout that seems to be connected to the drug war in Antwerp, where criminals are now making a habit of attacking the homes of other criminals. Yeah, that way you're gonna kill a lot of innocent bystanders, children. News articles like this always trigger in me that stop it YouTube clip. One of my teachers once showed it in a class. You should watch it. It's good. It's Bob Neward's Stop It. You'll find it on YouTube. It's the most unhelpful therapy session ever. And yet, yeah, it does something. Yeah, if you have the urge to get in a car with a gun with the intent of harming someone, stop it. Just, yeah, that. And on to personal news. Today, for the first time ever, I woke up with a cat on top of me. She had a little paws on my chin. It was very cute. Like she was holding my face. Good way to wake up. Okay, I want to know if this is true. Apparently, in the 16th century, a guy wrote God B-W-E in the letter as an abbreviation to For God Be With You, which read as goodbye, which was then read as the actual word goodbye, as we now know it. And that is when we started to use the term goodbye. Is that really real? Like, does anyone, can anyone fact check that? Trust but verify, people. <laughs> Legacy of War account posted a very disconcerting, heartbreaking statistic. The war that resulted after 9-11 have displaced at least 38 million people. That's roughly the entire population of Canada. Diane. Today I decided to work from home in the hopes that it will give me some peace and quiet. No, people keep scheduling and they're not showing up or reschedule endlessly, thus throwing a wrench in my entire day, and in the end, I feel like I accomplished very little and just got very frustrated. All of this because, as I long ago predicted, parents are very mad that we are going to deny one of their requests, who has a very good reason now because parents are pissed off that they're not getting their way. Instead of standing by the decision that we internally all agreed upon, my manager now main focus is to make this go away as quickly and as quietly as she can. Basically, she's already showing signs that she's going to yield to the parents, no matter what we say, no matter the dangers that we highlighted from my area of expertise, from the judicial expertise, the county child services, they all highlight letting them work with a company that is being blacklisted for a very good reason. It's a very slippery, dangerous slope, but the municipality just wants everything quick, quietly. They don't give a shit about quality or safety. So I said that I was done and I wanted to be excused from the case at the end of the day. Presumably they're just gonna go all in, perpetuating the narrative that gifted children have no place in our educational system or our society, and that is just not the case. And that should not be your goal. Instead of retreating into a bubble, claiming that you know everything about everything and that everyone else is just as educated as you are. I mean, the lady from that particular company, oh, she just kept droning on about that. Like, we know and others don't and we do it like this and others don't. Don't. Like, sweetie, you do not have the monopoly on giftedness. Honestly. Like, expertise? Awesome. Please do help. Please do share. But their entire narrative is based on dividing instead of integrating into a society that maybe, granted, is not geared towards gifted people, but by segregating yourself, further withdrawing these children from society, by demonizing society, you are not helping your cause. Anyone's cause. Whatsoever. If anything, you're hurting your own cause and hurting these children and giving them the continuous affirmation that everything and anything about them just doesn't fit in and that they are always going to be misunderstood and that no one else but you understands them. I mean, that's creating a dependency, a codependency that is very dangerous. They've already inserted themselves into the family and convinced the parents that no one but them will understand their children, which is just bullshit. If your goal is to make people codependent on you and make them believe that no one else understands them but you, that is not helping them integrate into a society. Inclusion matters. 
cares? And if your entire narrative is exclusion, you are not working for the well-being of the child. You're working to make money and to keep people so dependent on you that they will fear ever leaving you or questioning you. And that's a very dangerous relationship to have as a care provider. Your main focus should be empowerment of, of helping people understand, educating people so that they are better equipped to deal with stuff in their life. But the goal should always be to make them empowered and to learn more about themselves to make them better equipped to deal with society and life. And the way that they go about it, they don't. Their main focus is segregation and withdrawing children from our educational system, withdrawing them from our society. That is not preparing your children for the world. By all means, grandparents request and pay thousands of dollars to a company that's just gonna, in the long term, hurt the development of these children, gifted as they may or may not be, actually. There are plenty of other companies that do subscribe to what I just previously described. <laughs> so, yeah. Luckily, at the end of the day, I have a dinner date with a friend, and after that, I went bowling with my former theater crew. It was awesome. And lo and behold, when I got home, I had a request to pay customs clearance costs. Yay! They found my parcel. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Then today, I saw a very relatable post by Dinos in Comics, where one, di one dinosaur tells another dinosaur, you need to get out of your comfort zone. Where the dinosaur responds, listen buddy, my comfort zone is my bed, and I get out of it most days. Meow. <laughs> On some days, it really feels like the only comfort place in your life is just your bed. Uncomplicated unconsciousness is what my friend and I usually call when we're having a bad day and we just want to go to sleep and just unplug to live to fight another day. To round off today, the quote of the day for me was, I don't want to be afraid of painful emotions as the adults I grew up with. Amen, sister. Children learn so much from seeing adults face painful emotions, show them how to regulate them and how to cope and deal with them. Because if you don't, the child will never learn either. And that can cause heaps of generational trauma. That was it for Monday, January 9th. On to Tuesday, January 10th. And on to the global news of Tuesday, January 10th. Again, of course, it turns out that social media had a crucial role in the insurrection. This time the Brazilian one. Wait, that sounds weird. At least 17 people have been killed in protests in southern Peru over the last six weeks. Violent clashes erupted between demonstrators and security forces at the airport of the city, Juliaca. It's been restless in the Latin American country for months. Former President Castillo was impeached in early December, I remember that, and demonstrators demand that his successor, Daina Boluarte, step down and that new elections be held. And this involves killing people? Okay. Classified documents have now also been found in Biden's private office from his time as vice president to Obama. Oi, I miss Obama. Former Trump Organization's CFO Alan Weiselberg, 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 sorry, has been sentenced to five months in prison for helping the company commit tax fraud. White collar crime. Lovely. Weiselberg, Weiselberg, had worked for Trump since the 1970s. And who again is going to jail? Not Trump. In the trial, he pleaded guilty to all 15 charges. He thus avoided the maximum sentence of 15 years in prison. That sounds a little more like it. As part of the sentence, he already transferred about 2 million euros in back taxes, fine, and interest. Of the how many he swindled people? out of. Climate change induced weather storm in California has resulted in 14 deaths and 25,000 people are evacuated. In addition to that, the summer of 2022 was the warmest ever recorded. No shit. Climate change and climate change induced extreme weather is a thing people. And you can't deny it no more because now we're all gonna get bitch slapped by it. 
Then on to Dutchie-related news. Our very own Go Joren, well, we say Joren van der Sloot, but you say Joren van der Sloot, best known for being the man behind the disappearance and most likely murder of Natalie Holloway, is serving a 28-year sentence for the murder of the Peruvian Stephanie Flores in 2010. Because a prison sentence cannot exceed 35 years in Peru, van der Sloot will now be in prison in Peru until 2045, now that he's also managed to smuggle drugs on a large scale into the prison in Juliaca, where he was held for a long time. With the help of his girlfriend, Okay, how? Mm -hmm. And others, the drugs were introduced into sugar beet. After the discovery of the drug smuggling in 2021, urine was transferred to the infamous Palapalca prison in the Siberia of Peru. Oh dear. 5,000 meters above sea level and hidden somewhere in the mountains, the most serious criminals are housed in appalling conditions. Well, I mean, usually I'm against that kind of crap, but I've seen several interviews of this guy. I'm sorry to say, like, I'm not pro-death penalty, not at all, but some people are just evil, and I think he is a genuine psychopath. Like, a genuine belief that his brain is just not wired correctly. More Dutchy gems. Although earlier the mayor of Venlo, a city in the Netherlands, saw no reason to press charges claiming they are already investigating the racial slurs in Rotterdam, note, this city is 160 kilometers or 100 miles away from Rotterdam. But, okay. Uh, first he chose not to press charges, and now the DA's office has started a criminal investigation into the White Lives Matter text that was recently projected on a building in the city. Good. Struck me as odd that he refused to. You need to weed out these cowards anywhere and everywhere they pop up. Let's not encourage them. And then there were some people who apparently had the balls to kidnap two bunnies from a petting zoo, including supplies, and then they later returned to swap one out with another. Rude as fuck. Freaking Wild West over here. Apparently, police fired warning shots after a chase on the highway. It had to do with the kidnapping of a 15-year-old boy by a 36, a 35, and a 29-year-old man. Do I want to know why you were kidnapping a 15-year-old boy? Probably not. Luckily, the boy was unharmed. Again, it's like a movie plot. In addition to gas, oils, fat, bread, milk, cheese, eggs, and meats and fish, also vegetables are now more expensive due to inflation. I mean, what's left by now? Air. Basically, everything and everything sucks. Oh, wait, the only thing not in there is chocolate and sugar. Mm -hmm. No, no, no. Focus. So, in personal news, phrase of the day that I kind of accidentally coined, in all seriousness, I was talking with my coworkers about our job and what we basically do. And for the Dutchies, I said that I'm um, the skundige liller. Like, I, I knew it was a little crude, but when I heard it, and then when I heard it, the underlying meaning that you could possibly deduct from that, it kind of sounded like I said that I was a professional dicker or like, you know. <laughs> I mean, the Dutch word liller, like the Dutch crude term for penis that we use is lul, cock, basically. But when you turn that noun, dick, into a verb, dicker, when we use the Dutch word for dick, lul, and turn it into a verb as in dicker, the term could also be seen, and that's actually how I intended it, as someone that just talks a lot of shit. So, or I'm a dicker, like, yeah, dicker is, I think, the, the closest translation that fits. So basically, I said that I'm a professional dicker, and seeing that we've had multiple conversations, that if this sector just really keeps going at it like this, I'm gonna leave, and then I jokingly said something along the lines that if my podcast also doesn't work out, I will have to turn to OnlyFans or something, because there's a freak for every fetish, and it's a good fallback. People will pay for literal air. I mean, have you all heard about the girl that sold her farts, and then 
got all shook up talking on her OnlyFans account that the doctor told her that she had to stop because all the gassy food that she was eating to create gas for her to, you know, capture in a Tupperware box to mail to some people for money, that it was ripping apart her colon. And apparently they hadn't heard of that when I told them. When I said, well, I can always do diet, sell air. Oh, what a time to be alive, truly. So that was the same co-worker that I've had that conversation with. Kind of intended to be a little crude, but not that crude. So they just looked at me and they they just started laughing. I, apparently I do that. I say weird stuff. And I honest to God, don't intentionally do that. It's just shit comes out of my mouth. And then after my brain processes what I'm saying, here's the double entendre. That is how I phrase some special little gems throughout my life. I mean, a few still haunt me to this day. <laughs> I think it's beautiful what my brain comes up with, frankly. If I could patent it, I would. So yeah, I thought, you know, I always have OnlyFans, but I also know that if I ever do that, I will never ever again be able to work with children. And that is still, I believe, my raison d'etre and my silly passion. So that's like a last, last, last resort. But yeah, maybe that's relevant background to this conversation. We talk about weird stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that's what a therapist does. We literally talk about anything and everything. Up to your bowel movements if need be. Because that can be stress related. And your sex life. And that can also be stress related. And toxic patterns and all that crap. So yeah, we really do talk about anything and everything. So maybe that's why I so easily talk about that kind of stuff. <laughs> it was a very, very shitty day. But this little gem, I will no, treasure forever. It was fun. We had a good laugh. Something else today that gave me a good laugh was the late night show with Stephen Colbert. He has this trend about he who shall be named because he refuses, since he re left office, to call Trump by his name. He always says the former president. And he started the hashtag he who shall be named so that pretty much anyone can under that hashtag give a suggestion on what to call Trump other than Trump. And the one of the day was Forrest Dump. And that one made me chuckle. <laughs> there was another quite ingenious marriage of phrases in the episode. So instead of Duolingo, the app that people can use to learn another language, and with the insurrection in Brazil, and that people can use Duolingo-inspired app called Huolingo, and like I'll show the animation that they made on my Instagram account. It was it was funny. <laughs> that little gem needs to be shared. So yeah, you are welcome. And to start off Wednesday, January 11th, with the global news as of today, the German police can start evacuating the climate activist occupied mining village Lutzerath, not far from the Dutch border. Yeah, I suspected that the protest wouldn't conclude any other way. Truly admirable that they tried for two years, but with society and governments set up as they are, owned by oil companies, this wasn't really most likely going to end any other way. I just hope that no one gets killed. And then to end global news on a little happier note, the ozone action set a precedence for climate action because the ozone layer is on track to fully recover over most of the Earth by 2040 and fully over the Arctic by 2045 and where the hole is the largest by 2066. I mean, that's quite possible still in my lifetime. That's amazing. And please, 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 if the pandemic already didn't show you with everything shutting down and how instantly nature changed, let this also again be a reminder that we can actively make a change if we act decisively now and save our climate, our extreme weather conditions, minimize it as much as we can, protect as many people as we can, and I don't know, save the fucking planet for ourselves and future generations because y'all keep popping out babies. Don't you want to give them a future? 
To kick off with Dutchie news, it turns out that this year more than 2 million teenagers and young adults born between 1996 and 2003 will receive an invitation for a free vaccination against the human papillomavirus or the HPV virus. This virus is highly contagious and can cause cancer of the mouth, throat, penis, anus, vagina, labia, and cervix. So yeah, quite relevant. Research shows that young adults are not or hardly even familiar with the virus and therefore do not recognize its dangers. Only one in five of them say that the chance of an HPV infection is likely, while four in five actually becomes infected. So do that math. A two-part vaccination protects against these types of cancers. About 80 to 90 percent of people get infected with HPV at least once in their lifetime. The body usually clears the infection itself within one or two years. However, sometimes that doesn't happen, and then cancer can develop after 10 to 15 years. The World Health Organization hopes to eradicate cervical cancer with these vaccinations, partly due to the knowledge that this virus that four in five get is the reason that we have pap smears from the age, at least in my country, 35 and up, so, or 30 and up. I've had two now, so 30. Yeah, 30 and up. To check if we have this virus and or any mutating cells as a precursor to cervical cancer. In the summer of last year, I was watching a comedy show on Netflix, and this woman was poking fun that if you that you clearly weren't cool if you didn't have this virus. This is not like a badge of honor that you should be wearing, especially seeing that it's highly contagious and directly linked to cervical cancer. And I mean throat cancer and just all of that because it can get in your throat when you perform oral sex, which according to some people is not sex. And I've had that discussion multiple times in my life with people older than me, which I find highly disconcerting. It's literally like oral sex is not sex. It's literally part of the phrase, oral sex. You can't get pregnant from it, but that's about it. So a lot of people maybe wear a rubber of coitus, but they don't think about it when they're performing oral sex because they think, well, I can't get pregnant and that's the worst thing that can happen. And I mean, granted, that is a lifelong commitment, but like in the 80s and the 90s, early 2000s, at least HIV scared enough people to wear condoms. But since it's known that you can quite easily live with HIV for many, many years with a certain drug regimen, I think the trend in my country for the last five to 10 years has been that a lot of people are having unprotected sex again because they think, oh, just, you know, take a few pills and you're fine. You are not. If, I mean, I find this so hard to believe that it's so easy to get tested, get regularly tested, uh, be safe with every non-exclusive partner that you're dating. At the start of every relationship, both get tested. It doesn't hurt. Like, you're, it's like five minutes. It doesn't hurt. You just, you, you pee in a little cup, you, you get a little swab in your mouth and you're, well, depends on in what orifices you've had sex. After that, you're done. And after 2020, haven't we all done a lot of deep swabbing so we kind of got used to it so don't be pussy no pun intended after you get a clean bill of health all you can fuck suck swallow to your hormones content but just take care of your own health take care of each other's health get tested people then on to personal highlights Usually when I wake up, I watch the late night show with Stephen Colbert and the late night with Seth Meyer. Like all the late night shows, I watch that in the morning on YouTube. So this morning I watched the late night show with Stephen Colbert about the Eminem drama. Lord have mercy. Eminem introduced Lady Eminems and that has got the conservatives up in a tizzy. Now calling it woke Eminems. Oh honey, you keep plonking woke in front of everything that you disagree with. I really loved how Stephen Colbert took it and he showed the conservatives among us how to differentiate between a female and a male M&M. And he showed the camera like a male M&M is with an M on it and a female M&M is with a W on it for a woman. Hmm. And then he, he went on uh, taking the whole candy craze with uh, this whole gender hysteria thing, which led to Snickers being female, Milk Dots being Milk Dudes, Three Musketeers being a polyamorous gay thruple, and Baby Ruth, a gender reveal that started a series of wildfires in California, and Candy Corn, just a bag of clitoris. <laughs> oh, I love how he takes the news and 
just makes all the crazy wackadoodleness into him laughs, and just I love it. It's a good way to start the day. Michelle Yao won a Golden Globe. Her first nomination was also immediately a win, and Jamie Lee Curtis was the winner for Best Friend Reaction. I love that picture. It made me smile. They tried to play Michelle off, apparently, but she responded with, Shut up, please. I can beat you up, okay? And that's serious. That's right, girl. Take your moment. You've earned it. Jennifer Coolidge gave a beautifully moving speech at the Golden Globes for her White Lotus win for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role in a Limited Series Anthology or Motion Picture about how Mike White, the creator, writer, and director of White Lotus, gives people so much excitement to be, to be you, and making people want to live longer. Where she basically continues by admitting that she didn't, she didn't want to live longer, and that he changed that for her. It's amazing that she took that moment to thank him and to divulge that much personal information that was very inspiring and moving and just yeah, it's gutting to hear that someone felt that way and beautiful that she found someone to change her belief well i don't know about you but i've been there i thankfully also found a friend that makes me want to live longer when i didn't before important friendships to be had and the quotes of the day for me were how beautiful would it be if we said to people we loved, I'm not feeling like my best self today. Can you remind me of who I am? And that person then said a few reasons why they appreciate you for you by the Ed Holistic Psychologist. It's a good account. And a thread by Secrets Relationship on Instagram. Sex becomes better when the focus is on pleasure, not on performance. It's treated as play and the priority is to have fun. Insecurities are normalized and treated sensitively. Expectations and pressure are removed, like how long it lasts, who climaxes, in what order, how it happens, how many times it happens. There are open conversations about preferences, desires, fantasies, expectations, and boundaries. Novelties introduced, such as sex toys, outfits, positions, fantasies, all that. It is not treated as an expectation nor as a chore. Very important. All five senses are aroused and attended to. Passion and intensity are interwoven with laughter and silliness. You're taking turns being the giver and the receiver, and you spend time exploring what you each like and how you like it. And I saw a post by someone that was unattended, but not inaccurately funny. The sound of music furnishes an important lesson to young girls everywhere. Don't date a guy who says you need someone older and wiser telling you what to do. Because it will always end up being a Nazi. If you've seen the movie, you'll understand the reference. That song has always irked me. Even when I was a young girl. Like, I watched this movie when I was nine or something. I don't know. I was young. I remember this song always ticked me off. Let's, let's take it as a life lesson. Don't date a guy that says that. Because they will always end up being a Nazi in the literal sense and the figurative sense of the word basically. Very domineering types. Welcome to January 12th, Thursday. Global news. Japan and the United States are strengthening their military relationship due to the threat from China. Oh, as if we didn't have enough wars to entertain us as is. It really is a new Cold War. Don't worry, they have a name for it. Hmm. Cold War 2.0. They find more classified documents in Biden's office. Dude, for real? Like, is this because of Trump that they now all of a sudden start to search through everyone's offices? Or is this just really bad timing? Or I don't know. It's just it's like the same with Comey and Hillary's emails just prior to the election. Very annoying. Mainly because the Republicans are now going to use this or are using this already as a way to draw away attention from Trump and the uh, very scary things that he has stolen, hidden away, sold. Like, there's still highly classified documents missing and just nah, not really want to think about that too much. But it's, it's all being treated as if it's exactly the same. It's not. But tell that to the Republicans. 
Turns out oil giant ExxonMobil accurately predicted global warming in the 1970s. The company publicly cast doubt on the reliability of climate models. You know what? Let these companies with billions of dollars in profit every single year, let them pay that $80 million in aid to Pakistan and start funds covering all the climate change costs that we're all going to experience in the next 50 or so years. You know, pay back after willfully killing our planet for their own fucking profits these past few decades. You willfully, intentionally cast doubt on climate change research on people that try to bring it to the to the public's attention i mean the 1970s dude that's even that's well over a decade before i was born look how much time you had to already actively make a change i find this so upsetting threat to our society to our planet to our survival and to this day the attitude and the oil company's power and still after so many oil spills and so much death and harm and they still get away with so much crap and now we are all gonna suffer like the pakistan has clearly suffered from it I mean, all over the planet, we're already noticing a great environmental change. New Orleans, of course. Florida is sinking. Uh, we're called, like, a literal translation of my country's name is the Lowlands, as in half of it is under sea level. And I know the Dutchies are famous for their knowledge of, of holding back the water and building dikes and whatnot, but they themselves acknowledge that our dikes are very behind on maintenance. So I think they guesstimated they need around 30 years to get it all back up to snuff. I don't really think we have that time, but okay. At least I live a few feet above sea level, so hopefully I'll be fine. Sort of. I don't know. I know my grandma experienced something similar to well, New Orleans experienced not that long ago. In the early 50s, we had an incident similar to that. And my grandma lived it, survived it. I also know that she was so traumatized that I don't think she ever was able to talk about it. She died in her 90s, so that was very sad. That she never found a way to process that trauma. To a greater or lesser extent, we're all going to suffer from it. Pakistan has already suffered greatly this past year, with nearly half of the country getting flooded and losing almost half of their crops and then <laughs> as if our own survival against the damage that we did to our planet isn't enough we're also entering a new cold war era no matter which scenario plays out in the end we will be responsible for the extinction of our own species and many others along the way and it really will be totally man-made last year there was this image going around the world about a fireball in the ocean yes i did not know that was possible but apparently it is it was quite daunting to see actually i saw that giant as fireball in the ocean and i think that for me was the moment where i said i quit in theme with the theme of 2022 that i quit as in i surrender we've turned a corner it's all gonna go downhill from here we're sleepwalking into our extinction it's mainly the companies the big ass companies that leave an incredible footprint in the world and i mean just the pandemic i hoped would open so many people's eyes the fact that we were all shut into our homes showed the impact of our day-to-day -day travels that the air quality the, the quality of the water like the water in venice all of a sudden became see-through again you could see the bottom oh i thought if that is not a wake-up call i don't know what is but i mean we are kind of stubborn as a species i gotta say that unfortunately anyway apparently that didn't do it because as i now understand it instead of people taking it into account and making better decisions people are now flying by private jets more than ever and if something is polluting it's a private jet oh but yeah that moment in time for me was basically 
like, I'm done, I quit. I just, I surrender to the fact that this is over. We're too late. And either it's gonna cause immense disasters, because that's usually the only thing that wakes us up, even a little. And I'm just gonna now enjoy my life as best I can with what I have right now. And I'm not gonna, I'm working and I'm saving for my retirement age. But honey, that is 40 years away. We have no fucking clue what the world is gonna look like by then. So I stopped trying to stockpile money for a possible future that I might never, ever, ever see. I mean, it's still all imaginary money. It's money in the bank and the bank can go broke and go underwater, literally. It did kind of help me start to live the life that I want to live and enjoy my life in the now. I don't know if that's a healthy mindset, but hey, it helped me. I'm having fun. <laughs> On my Instagram page, I'll show a picture of my promotional posts. It was, well, for me, it was life-altering to see that. And it wasn't even like in the top five of news items that day. Trump was doing something wackadoodle again. Ugh, time to be alive. British postal company Royal Mail has presumably been hacked by software linked to Russia, or so the British media reports. Due to the hack, the postal company has been unable to send letters and packages abroad since Wednesday. Huh. Okay. Could this be the reason why my package has gone missing for so long? But it's coming, right? Mm. Hundreds of companies, including car dealers and even children's hospitals, have fallen victim to the ransomware in recent years. A Lockbit hacker on Telegram has said that they are taking advantage of the West's hostile attitude towards Russia. It allows us to act aggressively and operate freely within the borders of the former Soviet Union. I'm sorry, but you are literally the scum of the earth if you attack hospitals, especially children's hospitals, for your own personal monetary gain. Because, you know, after three billionaires shot their own dicks up in the air, did that change anything other than it spit out a shit ton of extra pollution that it did not need? Yeah, I'm sorry, that is not gonna probably result into anything in our lifetime anyway. Not without some possible extraterrestrial help, maybe? I swear we have our good qualities, honestly. Please, E.T., come take me home. In happier news, apparently large quantities of rare earth metals have been discovered in northern Sweden by a Swedish mining company. The metals are used, among other things, to build electric cars and are therefore of great importance for the energy transition. Ah, uh, now, see, that's good news. <laughs> Next up is a quote from a report from the Human Rights Watch that highlights both the beauty of humanity as well as the hypocrisy of humanity. I wanted to post a little disclaimer beforehand. It can be triggering for some, but I thought I'd share from my perspective why this report struck a chord with me, multiple chords with me. And you know, this is why I do the podcast, to open up conversation, to get people talking about taboo subjects. And it can't all be about sex, people. <laughs> it will usually be covered at least once an episode. Knowing myself. Yeah, definitely. I just, fair warning. With the years of piecemeal and often half-hearted efforts in favor of endangered civilians in places like Yemen, Afghanistan, and South Sudan, the global mobilization around Ukraine reminds us of the extraordinary potential when governments realize their human rights responsibilities on a global scale. At the same time, the response to the situation in Ukraine exposes the double standards of most European countries. All countries should show the same level of solidarity for the many human rights crises worldwide, and not just when it serves their own interests. Rousseau says very eloquently, Executive Director of the Human Rights Watch, and I could not agree more. It's, it's so easy to think, not my circus, not my monkey. However, what they then tend to forget is no one leaves everything behind, risks their life because they want to. No, they're running away from either a place of horror or just desolation where they have no meaningful life. And I know personally my own country has tried to make us less attractive by just defunding programs. 
Don't just slash budgets and expect the, the necessity of, of an essential product, because that's what it is, an essential product, to suddenly just, poof, magically disappear just because you don't facilitate it anymore. This is a basic human need, a need that we will all, in whatever way, shape, or form, for whatever reason, be it war or environmental disasters, they are universal and eternal. And it will keep people migrating. Forced migration is something else than chosen migration. So instead of, you know, being smart and just fund programs to give people a sense of safety, security, to get them back on their feet, to make them empowered, to make them self-sufficient again, and that is what I've seen happen around me, that's what I've experienced myself, I can only imagine what people that are fleeing from countries where there is, that are war-torn, climate disaster, riddled with just awfulness, just we're going to experience not only war refugees more and more because, well, Cold War 2.0 has arrived, but also environmental refugees and people so easily keep thinking not my circus not my monkey however honey we live on the same planet and borders are just a figment of human's imagination mm -hmm. so for just you know a quick second imagine that that's you being chased from your home chased from your community in desperate need to find a place to just catch your breath Apparently, in my country, quality of care that people receive is abhorrent. The Red Cross has had to pull back because of security issues, because the conditions under which people were expected to stay, it was so unsafe that people became violent. That is what you create. It's not that they have a notion, oh, life is so much better. Well, I mean, we do also have that. However, that is a totally different story. That is just because your laws suck. You write laws that make no fucking sense and have way too many loopholes that, yes, smart people will take advantage of but in addition to slashing budgets for asylum seekers they have started slashing budgets on educational services on health care services on mental health care services on child care services and what we now see is that it, the situation is becoming so dire that things that we all agree should not be happening are happening lack of safety creates fear creates people to feel powerless so then in whatever way shape or form that they see an option of gaining any form of autonomy or control they can turn to violence and it can become even more unsafe genuinely hopefully i gotta believe this at least at some point no one just wants a handout and even if they say and act like they do deep down i don't believe that it usually comes from either a lack of confidence or fear of failure or, or being completely overwhelmed and just need someone to lean on while you recuperate and get back on your feet but no one wants to be dependent on another because that is scary. We all want to be self-sufficient and for whatever way, shape or form, we're either convinced that we can't or aren't or aren't capable. We as humans are capable of such creation, such beauty, love, transcendence of just the situation of, of pain, of suffering, like faith in humanity. I see it. I feel it. I believe in it. I will always strive and fight for it and try to uplift as much as I can, bring as much light as I can. But at the same time, I've seen the dark side. I felt it. I've lived it. And that has, I don't know, some would call me a pessimist. I call myself a realist. It saddens me. It pisses me off on bad days, but it mainly just saddens me to see that we could do better. We should do better. And the fucking thing is, we can so easily. As the Human Rights Watch fella points out, apparently suddenly for Ukraine, we have millions. During the, the COVID pandemic, all of a sudden the government had millions just out of thin air to spend. While previous years, previous decades, we were constantly told we gotta slash budgets in healthcare, in child services, in education. That pandemic showed those people are essential. Oh,
for years and decades, people have fought to have raised the minimum wages, to raise welfare without all the law loopy, whatever shape or form they constructed. I mean, you've got 10 gazillion different crap that you may or may not be a recipient of or for or whatever, but they don't tell you that. So they just hope that you don't because every year they would say, oh, people were entitled to this much money, but they never claimed it. Well, you made the system so fucking bureaucratic that you just get sent on a tailspin that, that they intentionally create because they want you to quit. Because they want to pocket all that money. Like the first few years after the new child law went into effect, the municipalities got a certain budget. I shit you not. They got to pocket the money they didn't spend. So governments saw an opportunity. I mean, loophole. Hello. They saw opportunities to be very stringent on the criteria that you needed to qualify for to get that, whatever it was. And then at the end of the year, all the money that they saved, they got to pocket and spend whatever fucking way they wanted. And that is what I meant with shitty laws with big ass loopholes that smart people abuse. But if you give someone just a solid standard income where they do not have to worry or jump through a gazillion hoops, if you don't have to worry about that, then you get the opportunity to flourish, to thrive. Then, then you have time to create, to live. However, they intentionally keep people on their toes, people on edge, keep people feel like they're a burden and threaten them that if they don't follow your idiotic rules to the letter, they will be punished for it or cut off. That is how they control you. And that is how that is how they abuse their power because that is what they do. And if for whatever reason they themselves don't follow the law, either to the letter or at all, and you call them out on it and you are proven right, they take their sweet ass motherfucking time to compensate and to reimburse. Apologize? <laughs> never. I mean, they can go as far as saying this should never have happened or people should get an apology, but they never actually at one point, at some point, say I apologize, at least for my part. I have yet to see that happen. Hence why I do not like politics. They don't take accountability, even when they have clearly fucked up. Like the way that for the last decades, the way that they have treated people that have come seeking asylum, I'm sorry, but you're only creating hate. You're only creating extremists. And that is what they fail to see. You refuse to see because you can't tell me that they don't see. You can't tell me that they're that stupid and that blind. If you increase a person's quality of life, they won't feel that they are not left another option than choose a life of crime. Because is it really a choice if you leave them alone in the dark, pushed into a corner? I mean, what would you do? And I think that's what a lot of people don't. They just keep thinking, not my circus, not my monkey, until it hits them in the face. Or when they all of a sudden experience things that they judged in others. As my Venn diagram of minority me shows, I occupy a lot of minority groups, and yet at the same time, in every single of those minority groups, I know I am not alone. Not even a little. We are continuously made to, to feel like we're a minority and thus have less power, uh, not as much of a voice. Fuck that shit. Hear me roar, people. For instance, we claim that we have evolved to the point that we allow a space for everyone and we don't kill off sick babies no more. Like myself, because someone once told me that if you were born in a different country they would have drowned you and that really was like whoa dude yeah yeah shit he's right <laughs> it was a very crass way of saying it but yeah i wouldn't i would have been left and died when i popped out because survival of the fittest like i would have been a drain on my community or whatever and at the same time babies are completely dependent on the people surrounding them and that's why they're so cute evolutionary psychologists have phrased it that babies are so god-awful cute to endear themselves to us so that even though they are dependent and a burden to our survival that we will still take care of them well that and to pass on our genes 
One thing I know is I was a cute little baby. Whatever your reasoning, it's just we're in it together with each other for each other. I wish more people would remember that instead of judging, excluding, and shaming. And heart. that's the narrative being pushed by some people today. Like, first I need to take care of my business, and only then can I take care of your business. How about we take care of each other's business, help where we can, and lift each other up? You can't have it both ways. You do, and you're a dick about it. For instance, you continuously keep telling me I have to join in and I have to be an active participant, and then at the same time you keep telling me that I don't. Don't belong and that I don't fit in and that you don't want me so then either give me my money and let me live my life in peace but no I have to make a whole fucking day job out of it when you use any type of welfare or aid or in any way shape or form ask for help and because there are a gazillion kinds of welfare and all sorts of things that that you may or may not meet the criteria for to get that the amount of time and energy that you have to put in to qualify it's a fucking day job like, when I do come to you and I say that I'm in pain, take me seriously. Don't just look at me and go like, oh, there's a lot wrong with that one. Yeah, we're not going to fix that, so we're not even going to try. You can't have it both ways. I know you want to, but I'm not going away. As you can clearly tell. And that made me think, so, okay, you want me to participate and earn my own money. And that's why you keep slashing all of our budgets, forcing us to, or incentivize us, as you call it, to join the job market. But what you tend to forget is a lot of us, we want to participate. We want to be included. You just continuously treat us as less, as inferior, as a nuisance. And because of that, we have to fight 10 times harder to be included and to be part of the society that you create and that you claim we need to participate in to get help or support but then when we do we get exhausted just trying to get to that level and i kind of fear that that is where i've arrived right now i worked so fucking hard to get my masters intellectually i could do it just physically and emotionally it was a lot with all the other crap in my life i had to deal with but i was so proud of myself that i did it and then for four years i tried everything i have a master's degree in psychology you have to take me seriously i got the highest education i was capable of believing that in that way they could not deny me even though I had a quite visible physical disability and still around every corner at every turn I was met with prejudice and stigma and I was not given the chance to earn my money even though I had all the credentials for that job and yes I can't work full-time but I can definitely work part-time so I was literally crying on the phone to my friend saying I quit I can't do this anymore it's it's making me suicidal because I thought I fought so fucking hard to get here and it's still not enough and I don't know how to ever be more than I am right now or how to make people see me for me when I got a call a company had found me on the internet just my resume and they were interested in me and it was a sector that I never ever thought for a million years that I would ever want to work in working with addictions and that's not because of any prejudice or judgment in that well I found out that I still did have a few which I now corrected thank you but it was mainly because I had an alcoholic father I just thought that that would trigger me too much to be a good professional therapist. However, I'm always up for a conversation. I am always open to listen and then make a well-informed decision. So I said, yes, I would love to come and have a chat. And I went there. I voiced my concerns. I voiced my doubts. And she laid them all to rest. And I enjoyed working there for three years. And I surprised myself, actually, how much I loved working there. What I noticed is that it did align. It does align with what I love about this job. 
I noticed that every single intake, they would tell me shit about their past, about their upbringing, about their childhood that made me think, yep, I'm not surprised that you're here right now because that is some shit. And they did not prepare you for the world. And, they, and a lot of them were emotionally immature or had be, because of what they experienced, their emotional maturity slowed down or even stopped. So it still kind of felt like treating a lot of young adults. My favorite target audience. The only reason I stopped basically was because the pandemic fried my brain. Society fried my brain. The government fried my brain. I I was living my worst nightmare. Every single milestone I had achieved, gaining independence in one fell swoop, I lost them. I became wholly dependent again, and on my mainly on my mother, who, as I previously mentioned, I do not have a healthy relationship with. Socially isolated. The team that I loved working with for well over two years was quite in COVID denial, and and thus not being sensitive to the risks that COVID posed for me, but also for their own family members and clients and children, pregnant spouses. Yeah, so I also got socially isolated from them. Then all the stuff that I did like about my job got taken away. So I was left basically very little to derive any joy from. And just, it was a clusterfuck bomb of just horror. And yet it allowed me to finally, well, it allowed me, <laughs> it forced me to basically acknowledge that the fat lady was singing and that I needed to do something. Otherwise, uh, yeah, I would no longer be here. So it forced me to dive deep and boy did I die. I still have shitty days. Finally got me to acknowledge that I still wanted to do a lot of things, but I was always made to fear and was afraid of failure and of not being enough. And basically being pushed over the edge also liberated me. Like, I've already experienced all those feelings of rejection and failure and of not being enough. Technically, I'm still here, so that's got to count for something, right? Might as well just be me and, you know, throw it all out there and just see what happens. Well, in the end, overall, I'm thankful for the pandemic because it forced me to finally tackle a shit ton of of issues that still needed clearing up before I could finally stand up and claim my space. It took me 30 fucking five years, but hey, it ain't over until you're dead, until you're warm and dead. So I'm warm, I'm not dead. So hey, room to grow. The only reason why I'm still in this sector is basically because I have no clue what else to do with my current capabilities, because I genuinely do not know another way to make a living. Incidentally, the other day, I saw someone remark on an onset therapist or a psychologist or something along those lines, and I was like, oh my god, that sounds like my dream job description. Like, I love movies, I love TV shows, I love the whole creative arts. I love my job, I'm good at my job, but there's this big-ass part of me that I have not yet been able to find a place for in this sector, and that is the creative, the arts. My grandfather once asked me, would you still have chosen this profession had you not had a disability? Without thinking, I said, yeah, because by that time it was so ingrained, it felt like it matched me on so many levels, it was good at it, so I couldn't envision myself as anything else. But then I stopped to think how I got here and what made me good at those things. So then thinking about it, I thought, fuck no, I would have gone into the arts, no doubt about it. Creating, drawing, writing, singing, dancing, acting, as far as I can sing, that is for sure the career path I would have chosen. It would have gotten me away from my home. Now I was physically chained to my family until I found a small window of escape when I was 17. But fuck that shit. I would have run away from home so fast if I'd been physically capable. Oh yeah. Growing up with a disability in my family, in this society, how that impacted me, how social interactions with my peers. It wasn't until adolescence kicked in and everything became about 
about status and looks, and people got mean quick. Like everything was to do with appearances, and boys backed away really fast because they they got bullied for just being friends with me, let alone showing any way, shape, or form interest in me. They looked up a guy I dated just to ask him if he dated me, and after a while, he started to deny it because he was so ashamed. Imagine what that does to the mind of a young girl trying to find her way in the world with already a shit ton of daddy issues and feeling like I did growing up as I did. What that does to someone? Like, what the fuck were you intending to do with that? Other than shame and shun not only me, but everyone around me. And I, again, I felt bad for them, so that only made me pull back even more. I worry about how others are impacted by my presence and such that I just withdrew. I tried to make myself as invisible as possible and that only confirmed how I already felt about myself. So yeah, that part of me got totally sidetracked. How I did like creative stuff, I loved music. Music saved me. Saves me still. Like music is the only way for me to actually really get in touch with my feelings. And it wasn't until recent years that I finally got back in touch with that part of myself. My best friend who's very creative, she's like expert level creative, and I was, she was like five star creative, I was like half a star. I, I dabbled, and then my therapist, she suggested to me that I made a mood board about the things that made me happy, and I made one about movies and television shows that changed my life, that moved me, family, community, travel, and then arts, and I really enjoyed making that, and thus I realized maybe I should do this more often, and so slowly throughout the years I started to get more and more in touch with that side of me, but it feels like completely two different Leilas. Like, on the one hand, I'm really into the arts, and on the other hand, I'm a therapist, which is a very analytical, clinical job, where, yes, when you work with children, you get to be a little more creative, but mainly it's very protocol-oriented, by-the-book kind of work. So, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm still looking for a job where I can marry the two, two main parts of myself, and especially lately, where the creative Leila has seriously stepped up. It feels like on my off days, she's front and center, and then on my work days, the other one is front and center. And it just feels like living a double life, which can sometimes actually feel quite exhausting. So if someone has any clue whatsoever how to get a job on a movie set or a TV set or just someone along those lines, please let me know. In an attempt to try and marry these two parts of myself more evenly, I even considered starting to work a day less, so 16 hours a week, and then the other two, three days spent on creativity. However, though I'm uniquely qualified to be able to treat adults and children and youth, unfortunately, to be able to do this job and stay qualified, you need to work at least 24 hours, which is my max. So that kind of keeps me stuck between a rock and a hard place. Then for a hot minute, I thought maybe I can start giving workshops. That, that could be maybe a way for me to marry the two parts of myself, but that would mean that I would take workshops and trainings for me to then turn around and do it also. How does that make it mine? That just felt like a lot of work with minimal payoff, especially seeing that the government provides free programs, which suck, we all agree suck. <laughs> but then again, times and budgets are very tight, so what can I do to convince them to pay money for me, you know? Not without me having a serious platform to build upon. And I think that kind of is how I rolled into this. A lot more focal and a lot more open than I previously intended, but then again, I can't do something halfway. When I do something, I gotta commit authentic and all that crap. It's a blessing, but also a curse. <laughs> When I was younger, even for a hot second, I contemplated becoming an actor. Plenty of drama queens in my family. I've learned some skills. I think when I actually mentioned it to my mother that I was dreaming or hoping to have a career in the arts, preferably acting, she genuinely told me, 
you will never be able to act because they would have to write a part for you and they will never do that. They will only do that if you're already famous. And that is why, oh, what is his name? The little boy with spina bifida in 911. I, he plays Christopher. I love that boy because he is not an actor. He, well, I mean, as in he's not acting the disability. He actually has the disability. He is literally a boy with spina bifida who's an actor. I quickly looked him up. His name is Gavin McHugh. He's the youngest of five kids and adopted from Riga, Latvia at the age of two and a half. In 2015, his family moved from Atlanta to LA to pursue opportunities in the acting industry for his older siblings while he had just started kindergarten. He tagged along, supporting his siblings to a few auditions and then asked for his own audition. Right on, baby. Luckily for him and completely unexpected to the rest of the family, which is so very sad that that's a thing, but yeah. The opportunities came flooding and he's been extremely blessed to be working at a time when inclusivity has become so common. Yay. And he helps me just in being and representation because yes people, representation matters even to an adult lady such as myself. Because yes, after my mother's remarks, I gave up on that dream. And just seeing this boy acting and being so loved, and just the interactions on the show with him, how he's included, it warms my heart. And frankly, it even heals my hurt a little. Because people kept telling me that a life in the arts was not for me because I had a disability and it would just not be possible even. The only baby part I ever played on stage where I didn't feel that glaringly like a sore thumb sticking out was middle school musical and I had a little tiny part. I don't remember that being shitty. I only remembered I kept getting corrected because I said details instead of details. I said it in English and not in Dutch and I kept getting corrected by the teacher. <laughs> Sorry, I'm bilingual. What can you do? Or at least my brain functions as bilingual. And when I'm tired, it, it all just comes out as stupid, unfortunately. It's a really long ramble. Again, so many rambles in this episode. But hey, after this, if anyone has any ideas to help a girl out, call me! Back to the post that started this all, the Human Rights Watch conclusion that we could, should, and can do better than we are doing now. And no matter how often we go above and beyond, because the system is so broken, it doesn't matter anymore how hard we work. We're not helping anymore. We're not able, we're not capable of helping under these conditions. For caregivers, that is the worst possible place to be in. That no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try and work together, no matter how much outside of the box you're trying to think the system is suffocating in so many ways from so many different angles that we're no longer helping people we're trying to stop a very leaky boat sinking but i think more and more of us are realizing that we're only prolonging the agony and we're about to go down with the ship we, be we better just jump ship and save ourselves then hopefully people will wake up enough to finally realize that they need to change shit and then at least we can plug back in and see where we can help that's where i am right now as well I want to leave because no matter in what sector, the quality of our work suffers so much. They ask us not only to be therapists, they ask us to be administrative employees, they ask us to be accountants, they ask us to be PR, HR, I mean, they ask us to do five different jobs and then also expect us to give a good quality of therapy that people are actually feeling better and heal. And I mean, I'm not saying that we don't do anything and that we don't make a difference at all, but I know what we are capable 
capable of as a society, as caregivers, as a community, and seeing how, like, it, it putting a little band-aid on an open fracture. It's not gonna help. Like, you wanna help, but I don't help anymore. I just try to maintain the status quo and even fail at that no matter how hard we work. And that killing to your spirit, to your mental health, to your body, because you keep crossing your own boundaries in the hope that it will finally make a difference. But living like that, that is what gets people burned out. And more and more people are getting burned out. More and more people are just done and have to say, I can't do this anymore. So as suspected, this field, many fields, unfortunately, pandemic showed are essential and that our governments just refuse to acknowledge are essential, are being ignored and driven to such fatal destructive desolate places that people are dying not people are gonna die that's what we warned them about that if they did this this way the people were gonna get killed we've already passed that quite a while ago same with refugees same with creating homegrown terrorists and the way that we've handled the asylum seeker refugees people asking for help the way they've been treated we have created tomorrow's problem because of our lack of humanity We need to show up for each other better, more. We need to be taught how to do that so that no one ever, no matter how awful you feel, you feel like you're alone because that is the worst feeling possible. To feel like you're not seen, that you're not heard, that you're not believed, you're not taken seriously, that you don't matter, that you're not enough, that you're not equal. And we do that constantly. Be it not my circus, not my monkey, or well, that's just you and not me, uh, or you, you, well, that's what you get when. No, because we are allowed to make mistakes we should be allowed to make mistakes because that's the way we learn trial and error is how we learn it's how we grow if you always try and immediately succeed that is not how you grow you grow and you learn and you develop a healthy state of mind by trying and failing that's what my education taught me and which i which was a cognitive shift for me for me to state a hypothesis and not have it confirmed meant that you failed that you did your job badly but the way the teacher explained it to us was no what you did is you just of a gazillion possibilities you excluded at least one on to the next like you learned something even though you did not confirm your hypothesis you learned something and that blew my mind and that totally changed how i saw failure because even when something fails you learn from it you can learn something from it for instance how to not do it I wish humanity was less stubborn. Unfortunately, we are very stubborn. But because, you know, sometimes if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Yes, very good. Sometimes, you know, also take a hint. But that's why you need a community around you. People to bounce ideas off of. People to encourage you. Or people to say, whoa, they're horsey. Mm -mm. We need that. And that is why community, inclusion matters. We need to embrace our differences. Not punish each other's and our own differences. Minority, majority, fuck that shit. We live on one fucking planet. We share the and breathe the same air. Just humanity. It's so fucking annoying. It's, it's beautiful. But it's also so fucking exhausting. But in this case, this love that he both highlighted the beauty in that when we come together, look at what we can achieve, which, yes. And he also did not shy away from highlighting the hypocrisy of our governments. Like, because it's now Russia invading a European Union country. Now, all of a sudden, we step up. But when it's a country in Africa or the Middle East, countries that we, with our colonization and our warmongering, greedy mitts have set in a tailspin, thrown for a loop, extracted whatever we could, and then left them to pick up the pieces. Just, no, take fucking accountability for each other, for our actions. Like, if it would do better, it would benefit us all. Why don't we do better? It's an endless cycle. 
Well, all right then. That was a segue into philosophical, existential meaning of life crap that just, just bounces around my brain every day in greater or lesser extent. And this article kind of triggered that in me. So excuse my rant. Back to our scheduled programming. Yeah. See what one little article can do to me. Oi, just ramble, ramble, ramble. Then it's celebrity news, unfortunately, another great legend has died. Jeff Beck came known to the general public in 1965 as Eric Clapton's placement in the Yardbirds. He has died at the age of 78 of meningitis. The band Yardbirds later also included guitarist Jimmy Page from Led Zeppelin. Oh, honest to god, music like this, they do not make anymore. I know I wasn't even born <laughs> when they were making all of their awesome sauce music, but that is, I think, the only highlight of my childhood, the music. My parents, thankfully, didn't like any of the Dutchy music stuff, so I grew up around this music. The 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and I mean, to this day, that music still stands. Just, y you can listen to just them playing, playing guitar, piano, for hours and not be bored. Listen to them play and just not do anything else. Just ride that way. That is a quality music nowadays to a great extent in my opinion. I mean a lot of music from the 90s and the, the 2000s. I mean very few have survived. It was not a good time for music overall. It came more about selling a product than actually quality of music and that was frying my brain to the extent that I asked friend like do you have any music that resembles the, the 60s and the 70s and the early 80s and and he gave me two names and I am very thankful. They're artists that I still listen to to this day and whose entire repertoire I have in my Spotify list. And before Spotify, I bought their albums and that is John Mayer and Nora Jones. They're about my age, a little older, I think. But Lord have mercy, I can listen to their music all day, every day and not get bored. So artists like that and they, I mean, you know, in 2009, which in my opinion is very late, Jeff was inducted by Jimmy Page, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And it's on YouTube, you could watch it. It's good. That music is transcendent. That's one thing of humanity that I really love. Our ability to create art that transcends. For me, that's main music. I'm very verbally skilled, which has a downside having more difficulty getting in touch with my feels. But music, ooh, can hit me right in the feels. Sad to see another great musical legend die. Hmm. But his music lives on ever and ever. Then the, the Irishman's skeleton, which was a landmark in the 18th century because of its height, was part of the exhibit of the British Anatomical Museum for more than 200 years. Shortly before his death in 1783, Burns said that he wanted his final resting place to be in the sea, allegedly to prevent anatomists from dissecting his body for examination. However, the Scottish anatomist and surgeon John Hunter managed to get a hold of Byron's body after bribing friends of the Irishman. Some friends. And to add insult to injury, according to the museum, Byron's skeleton will remain available for bona fide medical research into pituitary disorders. So yet again, 200 years later, Byron will not get a grave in the sea for the time being, in accordance to his wishes. If you know that those are his wishes, for fuck's sake, grant them. You had 200 years. That's just, it's wrong, people. It's your body you should have say. You should have final say, especially in cases like this. He knew that they wanted to research him, and he also knew he didn't want his body to be used for that. I mean, if you want to donate your body to science, if you want to in every way, shape, or form, help science, by all means, God bless, do your thing. But if someone explicitly says no, respect that.
Then on to Dutchy news. In the Netherlands, a company called O2 Health specializes in equipment for improving air quality. During the COVID pandemic, it signed a deal with the Ministry of Health in March 2020 for the supply of 18 million FFP2 masks for healthcare workers, which were back then desperately needed. An amount of 56 million euros was agreed upon. The same month, the government made a down payment of 45 million euros. However, the O2 Health company was unable to deliver the promised number of face masks on time, and also, a little more importantly, the face masks that were delivered did not meet the quality requirements, thus rendering them useless. They must repay the state 43 million euros for supplying defective face masks during the corona crisis, but they say that this will effectively bankrupt them. I mean, in my country alone, this was just one of many deals that went awry, where they gave millions of millions of euros to companies that claimed that they could either provide masks or other equipment to help deal with the pandemic, but so many of them came out defective or didn't come out at all. I mean, the whole AstraZeneca deal quickly, in my eyes, became just a shady corporation because when they were called out for not delivering as promised, they said, well, we said we would do our utmost to deliver, but we never actually promised to deliver. And when you say that, I'm done. Like, I don't even understand why they stayed in business with them. And then with all the, the health risks that AstraZeneca presented, and but Lord have mercy, so many corrupt deals made, and just, at least this company is forced to pay back. But there's another dude with aid from one of our ministers made a very lucrative deal also, surrounding masks, that resulted in him making millions, and to this day, he has avoided prosecution. There's literally a Twitter account that's called, are his two million dollars back or something along those lines and every single day that uh, account posts no just one word no it's very sad but funny and it's it, it it keeps it relevant it keeps it because that's oftentimes what happens it just it melts away through all the madness going on but it's wrong those people should pay for knowingly swindling millions of dollars of our taxpayer money and just the whole system broken but that is how they want it but it's time to change it no it became clear halfway through 2021 the Ministry of Health had unlawfully spent 5.1 billion euros of taxpayers' money, our money, on COVID-19 materials such as face masks. For 40% of them, it wasn't clearly demonstrated what happened to them. 40% of 5.1 billion dollars. That is $2 billion that they have no clue of what happened to it. $2 billion. Do you know how, how much aid and care and climate changes you could have created and initiated? Like, fuck me. Why does this not outrage people? That is what baffles me. $2 billion that they have no fucking way of proving how it was spent, where it went, and companies and the people that made those deals, those lucrative-ass deals, they pocketed all that money, our money are hard-earned because we work fucking hard our hard-earned money just gone and hold them accountable so that they have to refund as much money as we can possibly make them vote people please vote these motherfuckers out <laughs> Speaking of bad investments, our grid power operator warns of a power shortage in 2030. The closure of coal power stations and the desire to move away from gas more quickly are also leading to an increase in homes, buildings, and factories that are switching from gas to electricity. This development has accelerated in the past year because of the war in Ukraine, as a result of which Europe wants to get rid of Russian gas. Now all of a sudden they do. Climate change and environmental disasters apparently wasn't incentive enough. Netherlands already has a power cable connections with Belgium, Germany, Denmark, Norway, and the UK. The grid operator proposes to further expand that capacity. 
It astonishes me that we've had fair warning for like three, four decades, and now all of a sudden they're acting like they have to rush it. I mean, dude, how slow did you think you were going to be able to do this? Well, very slow with all the oil companies and the profits and all that jazz. But hey, like I said, idea. Let them put all of their profits in funds that we can use for innovative ways to harness energy in a more climate-friendly way and also to help the people that are victimized by environmental disasters. Just an idea. Accountability. I know. Weird. one of our museums, they may have a very rare item in its collection, a fossilized dinosaur embryo. Apparently no 10 such embryos have been found on Earth. Cool! And then in personal news, I went to the dentist and had two cavities filled without anesthesia. Yay! Wow, this EMDR thing really helped. <laughs> like I wanted to try to do it without anesthesia because I had an appointment later in the day and they say it takes your body up to four hours to get rid of the anesthesia, but for me it's usually at least six, so I didn't want to have a numb tongue all day. So I tried to do it without anesthesia and around the same time that I raised my hand and said, nope, nope, I can't do this for another 10 minutes, I quit, I'm sorry, give me the drugs. She said, I'm literally like five seconds away. So in my head I counted and she wasn't wrong. It was five seconds. So I survived two cavities getting filled without any anesthesia. I was a little proud of myself. Also today I got my final Gish flag and Gish sticker in the mail. Into the fun note. Welcome to January 13th, Friday the 13th. On to global news. 31-year-old cousin of the Black Lives Matter co-founder has died after being repeatedly tasered and detained by LA police earlier this month in the street after a car accident. Keenan Anderson taught at a high school and died in a hospital in Santa Monica. According to police, Anderson had caused a traffic accident and attempted to flee by attempting to get into someone else's car without their permission. However, on the CCTV footage, Anderson appears confused when he tells an officer that someone is trying to kill me when there's no apparent danger. I mean, the dude who was in a car accident. He may have bumped his head. At first, Anderson sits down as he's told. When more officers arrive, he gets up and runs off. Considering what he knows, what he's probably lived, seen, experienced, can't blame him. When they catch up to him, he initially appears to be listening when officers try to apprehend him. Then he starts yelling, please and help, and they're trying to George Floyd me. The fact that this has not become a phrase that unfortunately we all know the meaning of, uh, that it actually genuinely happened. Again. When is it gonna end, people? Seriously. Update on Alexei Navalny's condition. He appears to be critical given the inhumane prison conditions and solitary confinement. Concerns about Navalny's health increased this week after he was transferred to a cramped isolation cell on New Year's Eve. It is the tenth time since the beginning of his prison sentence that President Putin's most prominent opponent has been sentenced to solitary confinement for an offense. It used to be about things like not buttoning his prison uniform properly or brushing his teeth at the wrong time. The fact that this is known, and imagine the amount of people that suffer through this that is not known, that this is allowed to continue. Just, we are allowing genocide and on multiple places on this planet, hurts my head, breaks my heart, and I just don't start or stop or, um, I'm of the opinion that we need to know this kind of crap because we need to face reality, change reality. Some days it just makes me feel powerless.
follow-up the aid workers who are put on trial in lesbos for helping asylum seekers by saving them from the seas are no longer being prosecuted for espionage however they say they dropped the charges due to procedural errors okay there are other charges however against them that are still pending the aid workers are also accused of human smuggling and participation in a criminal organization and in greece those are more serious charges carrying a prison sentence up to 25 years because the investigation into these allegations is still ongoing it isn't clear if and when they will be brought to court. I mean, God, I hope not, because this whole story first made me feel good about people bypassing a broken system to still provide aid for people who so desperately need it, but human smuggling is a real thing, and they are very vulnerable, so easy prey. <sighs> it's like you want to have faith. I'm hoping for the best, but I'm prepared for complications. On that note, they currently see the highest number of border crossings in the European Union in the past six years. So resources and aid is desperately needed. As it turns out, this past Wednesday, the computer glitch that caused great mayhem on domestic air traffic in the United States was caused by a human error, according to the FAA. They're still trying to investigate if it was an accident or on purpose. Okay then. The system malfunction forced the FAA to keep all domestic flights grounded for over 90 minutes, a first in 20 years. Thousands of flights were affected. And then as an interesting, fun fact, they have discovered that dolphins scream at each other to rise above human noise. Okay then. I'm sorry. I'll try to be more quiet. And then again, in sad celebrity news, should be the new header, Lisa Marie Presley has died at the age of 54 of a heart attack. Only 23? What is up with you? Everyone keeps rapping. Then in Dutchy news, the unions are calling for people when they fall ill on vacation to report it because then you can get your vacation days back. That is one thing I do love about my country. Not a lot of people actually do it. I mean, I didn't know that that was even an option until a few years ago when I told my office manager that by the time I finally get some time off, I usually end up falling ill. So back then, this little tidbit was news to me and I took it to heart. So ever since then, yeah, when I'm sick during holidays, fuck yeah, I'm calling in sick. Huh? I work hard for my vacation days. I should be able to actually enjoy them and not lie sick in bed or on the couch and not do fun things. That's what vacations are for. Catching up with your friends, doing fun things, yeah. So this little nugget I missed. I did not hear anything about this at all until I started to do some research for my podcast. However, I learned that our government is changing the rules for the way the system is structured currently is every single year you have an at-your-own-risk contribution, but basically it's a fine of 385 euros that no matter what procedure you get done, whatever kind of medication you're using, the first 385 euros of healthcare that you use is at your own risk, so you put that bill. Only after that will your insurance kick in. Now, they've limited it in a very ableist way, that if you just have one procedure, the maximum amount that you have to pay is 150 euros. However, for people such as myself, even with a chronic indication for my chronic illness, I am still required to pay that entire amount. For my physical disability, the only treatment available is physical therapy on the regular. So once a week, twice a week, I get physical therapy. It's been that way since I was three months old, and it will hopefully be that way until I die. But even with my chronic indication, I I still first have to pay for my healthcare insurance kicks in. Therefore, because I have multiple sessions of physical therapy, I will always have to foot that entire bill of 385. Unlike people who are very healthy, they only now have a 150. How is that fair? How is this not a fine for people that have disabilities, people that have illnesses that are completely outside of our control? 
but now in a very ableist way for people who don't get sick a lot, they are now getting extra compensation for only being capped at 150. While people like us, like me, people with chronic illnesses that will always forever exceed those, those 385 euros, we will always be fucked and gotta pay the full amount. Stop overtaxing the working class and sick people. Because of my disability, I can only work part-time. Because of that, I make a lot less money than people with the same age, same education, same job who are able to work full-time. That I do not get compensated for that. Fine. Whatever. But stop overtaxing the medical costs that I make. Participating. I'm paying taxes. This is just such ableist governing. It's so unfair. And we just, our voice just does not seem to be heard or I have no fucking clue. We are supposed to be a country with good, well, that is not true. 20 years ago, we had good healthcare, like really good. The costs were spread out a lot, a lot better, but then with all the boomers getting more sick and entering retirement age, they had to find a way to finance the crap out of it. And instead of taxing the rich, because, oh my God, who does that? They tax us, the working class and the sick people. Is this still allowed to happen? I mean, there's so much injustice in the world. It, maybe this podcast is a bad idea. No, that's... I also find articles that cheer me up. I feel like this information is lost in the static of everything or people just don't realize what these kinds of decisions mean for people like me. Like back in the day when they introduced this, personal contribution is what they called it. And even back then, at least some political parties raised their voice and said, no, it's a fine. You're finding people that have illnesses. And then they said, well, no, we just want to discourage people to go to the doctors for every little twinge. But that is not what's happening. If you educate your population into understanding how much it costs, maybe that would make them a little more conscientious about deciding when to go to a doctor and when to wait a little longer. But now what we see is the main reason for people delaying going to a doctor, even if they know something is wrong and they know that they're actually sick, is because they know that they can't afford it. And thus, the critical time of diagnosis of early detection is missed, only resulting in when the diagnosis is finally made that the healthcare costs needed to treat the disease at this stage are in the long term a lot higher than if the person would have gone to the doctor as soon as they felt something was off. And they would have been able to early detect it and then treat it both economically and conservatively. But the effect that we now see mainly is that people delay going to the doctor, pure and simple because they know they can't afford it. Not because they don't believe that they're sick. The current system, and especially with this new change, is just built and reaffirms again and again that you're punishing people. Because you know that is a direct consequence of this kind of policies. Because of my disability, I can't work as much as someone without my disability. I already have less money to spend, but I have to carry that burden more than healthy people. Like, I genuinely had a discussion with one of my previous co-workers. She was an anti-vaxxer sitting across from me without a mask. But she basically said, like, well, well I'm healthy, I'm young. I can take if I get sick, it won't kill me. And I responded with, one, you don't know that. Young people got very sick, long COVID. It's a thing. People have died. People have gotten disabilities from this illness. People that were previously in seemingly perfect health. The scary bit about COVID was that you just can't predict it. So best to not get it, right? Her response was, I'm young, I think I can take it, you can't force me to take this vaccine. And you're right, I can't force you, I don't want to force you to take the vaccine. However, you can still alter your behavior in little ways that aren't, you know, giant changes to your life, like opposed to me having to seclude myself from the entire society for years. 
You could keep your distance, you could wear a mask, you could test regularly. Those were three things that you could do to hold space for people like me, and you refused. Like, I don't give a flying fuck if your arrogance gets you killed, I just don't want your arrogance to get me killed. Or people like me, that are at high risk for an airborne virus. And two was just beautifully made by Hannah Gatsby in her stand-up comedy show Douglas about anti-vaxxers. I highly recommend. She tackles the anti-vaxxer movement in such a beautiful way. <laughs> like with such humor and such grace. And just, I, I love that woman, I swear to God. She says that if you choose not to vaccinate children out of fear for getting autism and thus clearing the way again for polio and other terrible illnesses such as those, you are not playing for the team. Watch it, it's funny. And she does it with such class. I am stepping it up a little here, I'm sorry. I'm gonna be a little less classy. If you live that selfishly, that ableist, you are a supremacist. Ableist, supremacist, tomato, tomato in this case. Because you're saying because you're healthy physically, you are instantly superior to someone who's not. That's placing yourself above, well, in this case, me, who has an inferior physical health. So apparently my life, my mind, my voice, my being is inferior to yours due to something that's completely, utterly out of my control. And that with just a little adjustment that's proven with extensive research to at least remotely be safe, for fuck's sake, do it. But no, you couldn't. Because, oh my god, it's discrimination when you have to show that you tested negative to enter a club or a restaurant or whatever. Just, they got so much room to voice their opinion and their ableist view, and they got so fucking butthurt about it that I thought, bitch, please. Like, one of our ministers even said that a vaccination passport was something that they were considering, that that was discrimination. Because our society is a society of everyone for everyone. And the moment I heard him say that, my response was, since fucking when? That's not been my experience. Not ever. It's a very rant-heavy episode this time. Goodness me. On to... I can't even say lighter news. Lordy. Research found that one in eight women in the Netherlands had to deal with sexual transgressive behavior last year. Nearly one in two, that's 50% of 16 to 18-year-olds, have experienced it, and over 50% of women between the ages of 18 and 24. People, that is just not right. Educate your children and fucking behave. In extension to that, first-year students at Maastricht University are required to be taught about sexual misconduct. I'm sorry, but it's a bit late now at university. By that time, your personality, your sexual development has well been established. Presumably, you're already sexually active. I think by that time, to try and educate kids in the basics, I mean, consent is a topic that they, that apparently is still such a foreign concept for so many. You should learn kids about consent from day dot. Anywho, the reason that they now made this a mandatory course is because data on students who are confronted with sexual violence and intimidation apparently showed that one in 10 female victims in the Netherlands fall victim to rape during their studies. One in 10 to rape. Not even sexual misconduct or transgressions, but actual rape. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's a nice effort, but I mean, by that time, misogyny is firmly rooted in one's character and one's behavior and thoughts, and adults, especially young adults, are not easily re-educated. Not with a big shock to the system. And usually with this, these kinds of courses, it's just shits and giggles and
and well I, I don't know the curriculum i hope that they actually make it an interactive course which they embrace and actually learn from because you're never too old to learn but yeah my first response was why a university and why not elementary school basically every parent like i know it's not considered ethical i think for some reason i don't know i think that if you're having a kid you should have a mandatory course on parenting skills and behaviors because every single person that i've ever had to work with a client and a lot of us practitioners as well we had upbringings that fell to lesser or greater extent short and if you educate your kids from a young age we would have such a completely different society where these kinds of classes especially at that age is not even necessary anymore shit like that just doesn't happen and if it happens you are met with great consequences so that maybe you'll do it once but you'll never do it again or a lot less likely right now accountability is something that's really dependent on your status on how much power you or people in your network have and not necessarily just the act and on to some personal news today bridgewater podcast season two launches yay but hey no more nathan fillion oh nasa hubble telescope shows a black hole gobbling up a star they are beautiful images truly makes you feel so tiny in such a large universe and gives the meaning of life a little more like this all has to mean something right or at least i try to see it that way <laughs> This just, like, I don't know what is up with this week, this year, this mm, universe, but sweet baby Jesus. Today I had a job interview at a company that I love, basically my dream company. And it may not yet be my dream function, but I had high hopes. And fuck it all to hell. Pardon my French. In that interview, someone joined the conversation who turned out to be the spitting image, and she is an exact image because she's the fucking twin sister of a horror manager, I always refer to her as my horror manager, from my past. So the moment I realized that was her, instantly knew I could kiss the job goodbye. And today really is Friday the 13th. To add insult to injury, I also had contract negotiations with my current recruiter. On every single thing, they seem to have made an exception. Exceptions that I did not ask for, that they made because they hired me under, I can't say false pretenses. Judicially, I could say false pretenses. One company hired me, but because they were merging with another company, they basically just handed me over, then did a whole hoopla of shit that I wasn't even aware of. My understanding was, of according to the job text, was that it was about a permanent contract for 24 hours a week. Apparently, that wasn't exactly the case. Because of my disability, the government grants employers benefit packages. Two primary parts of that are, one, you can test drive us for free for a month. The idea behind that was probably people who didn't have any form of education to make it more appealing for employers to hire you. On the other hand, I find it kind of ridiculous, not to mention insulting and even demeaning, that seeing that I have a master's degree in psychology, they still want to test drive me because the fact that I can get education at all should tell you that I'm capable of working, but hey, okay, I get paid, so whatever. If it makes you more likely to hire me, let's go there. The other one, a no-risk policy, meaning that when I fall ill, for whatever reason, the government picks up the tap. Anything that makes me the most appealing employee you could ever obtain, but hey, we agreed that they were going to test drive me for a little over a month. After, I assumed, you know what happens when you assume? I know. I assumed that that permanent contract for 24 hours a week would go into effect. Unfortunately, the, the job in question cost six weeks of continuous debate and struggle concerning my pay. They wanted to pay me way, 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 way below what I was supposed to get paid in this job function. They tried to skate on that. I accepted no less. I accepted the same pay that I got at my previous employer, utilizing the exact same skills. 
So that took a whole lot of debating argument. And basically I put my foot down and said, if you don't solve this by Friday, I'm going to stop coming because in the meantime, on good faith, I kept working. Suddenly they agreed to pony up with the familiar red flag that they sincerely hoped that next time I would be a little more accommodating. It was just a whole hoopla of drama. Later I learned that they apparently had already made a deal with the municipality where I was going to be working for that amount. Apparently the municipality had no fucking clue what the job even entailed. And, you know, only then when they found me with my qualifications and my educational level, they now had to basically renege on the deal that they made with, with the municipality and say, Oh, PT does, we need you to pay a little more. Of course the municipality was like, uh-uh. We made a deal, this was the amount, this is what you're going to pay. So they tried to bully me into accepting pay way below what was appropriate. And then they made me feel like I was being unreasonable. And it's happened to me on multiple occasions. It's a red flag. Because when an employer says that to me, I already know how they view me. They want to exploit me and they don't view me as a person. Which, as I say this now, I actually realize that, that is a serious trend in my life. Hmm. Anyway, by the time I got my contract, I was already so done. I just looked at the hourly pay that matched with what we agreed upon, and I thought we were fine. Apparently, not. Apparently, they had to think of all kinds of different constructions to make that contract a reality, and that I should be really thankful because I'm the only one in the entire company that has this current construction. And again, I reiterate, this is nothing to do with the fact that I have a disability. This has everything to do that they were two companies that are merging. That was the reason that they made all of these exceptions and that I was expected to be grateful for, even though when I had conversations about when I was applying there, they never mentioned anything of the sort that that was even a thing. And I reiterate, they had the opportunity to fucking test drive me for free for a month. I wasn't even aware that they made e exceptions in some cases, but now I am told that I should be grateful and don't get me wrong, I really am. I'm grateful that they even considered it, but the one thing that my disability is costing me and where I asked for some compensation to level the playing field, level it, not actually get extras, but just a treatment in a way where the company offsets the drawback my disability causes me. But nope, I get told repeatedly, nope, all of a sudden it's a no-go because this is a company line and we don't make exceptions. Later in the day, my friend on social media found something about speed dating for the planet Kia? And I first thought, no. But then I thought, hey, it's weird. We do weird. Sure, why not? <laughs> Let's go. And thus we've come to the end of a very shitty Friday the 13th that for once in my life actually completely lived up to the hype. Hmm. <laughs> This next part is gonna get down, dirty, gritty, and heavy. It's a revelation I had in therapy last year when I combined schema therapy with EMDR therapy for the traumas that I incurred as a child in connection to my parents. And in doing so, I finally got to name a feeling that I've carried with me my entire life, and I never actually could put into words what that feeling was. It's a tough one. My friends have responded with shock overall that that is still a core belief that I hold about myself, seeing how very healthy I can seem. And I am. I mean, I was tested. I actually genuinely tested overall healthy. 
as a healthy adult, healthy coping mechanisms, healthy. But I also have this little mini me, mini Layla that's still very hurt and very angry that also came out of those tests. And this is why. So disclaimer, this might be a tough one to swallow and be very triggering for some. So for that, I'm sorry and be warned and by all means, be kind to yourself. And you know, if you want to talk about it, I'm here. That's what this is for. Let's talk about it. Uh, but also, if this triggers you, please talk to someone close to you that you feel safe with and that makes you feel loved and seen and that it helps you get through this. Or go see a therapist. You know, that's what they're for. I mean, I'm a therapist and I still go to therapy when I notice that I'm stuck. A fabulous quote by EQ School. A person's emotional response to your need is not about you. You can be the best communicator in the world asking for a basic need, yet people will always perceive you through the lens of their own experiences, perceptions, and emotional capacity. How people receive your needs isn't about you. This is a lesson that I had to learn to finally unburden myself of the dysfunctional relationships I have with every single family member and how responsible I felt for that dysfunction. And also acknowledge and understand and how their treatment of me internalized into a core belief I held about myself. That in turn influenced how I help myself in society, and thus it influenced every single interaction and acquaintance relationship I've ever had. My entire life, I felt that I was the burden, that there was something wrong with me, and that I just needed a better way, a different way to communicate my needs in a way that they would understand, and that I kept feeling misunderstood. I took personal, that I did something wrong, and now I realize that I have learned a lot of communication skills through my uh, profession. So I have objectively been educated and taught in how to communicate in a healthy, responsible way. So in that, I took responsibility and accountability for how I contributed to the conversations. Also know that due to the status that I hold inside of my family dynamic, I'm just the wrong messenger. <laughs> so whatever I say, or how eloquently I may put it, it's just not going to get received as intended. It allowed me to stop trying to explain myself. <laughs> it freed up so much time. Like I was spending so much time trying to figure out why I could not have a healthy relationship with my father or pretty much any family member, why I kept feeling feeling unhappy and triggered and sad and angry and I felt it gave me permission to stop endlessly, exhaustingly keep trying to make them understand and acknowledge the fact that it takes two to tango. Through EMDR, through schema therapy, I discovered when I was made to feel that there was something wrong with me for the first time and to finally locate that first memory, that core memory that fed, that started a belief that eventually turned into a core I held about myself. By addressing that moment, for some reason finding that core moment the first time that I ever felt that there was something wrong with me, defunct, and then seeing how that memory, that thought, got fed over time again and again and again, not just by them, mainly by them, because your family is supposed to be the one that gives you unconditional love, makes you feel safe and seen and loved and cared and protected. You know, all those core emotional needs that I talk about in episode two. My family, well, didn't. If anything, they were the core members that kept telling me that there was something wrong with me to the point that I started to believe it. Still your formative years, people, they're important. To find that, finally feel that memory, it's like cutting a thread. It felt like you don't have to sit through hours and decades of therapy, but just by finding those core moments that shaped your core beliefs about yourself, about the world, if you can find those, it's like a setting off a domino chain. Because when you realize what that particular moment in time, what that memory caused it seems like the whole ball of dysfunction just completely unravels or untangles i should say it's very illuminating
now I realize that I was taking to heart their dysfunction, their misguided belief about me. I took that to heart and I started to believe it. And thus that tainted my self-esteem, my self-confidence, my self-perception. And thus it affected how I behaved, how I positioned myself in the outside world. And realizing this, that their emotional response, or lack thereof, of a healthy one anyway, <laughs> to me and my needs said everything about them and said nothing about the justification or worthiness of me and my needs and like intellectually i always knew it that's why i felt so off through this now i finally found for belief and when i found it i could learn to redirect it change it into something that was more true and more helpful less negative less destructive therapy is good for you people i know it i lived it i give it like i practice what i preach that if there's one thing you can say about me that is what i do i practice what i preach and i preach what i practice And then some other quotes were, roses are red, Doritos are savory, the US prison system is legalized slavery. Yeah. And by Onoshi Twint, and her username is The Volatile Mermaid, I love her account, she's funny. When you don't want to teach kids about slavery or the holocaust, but want to preserve confederate monuments, that's called the hypocritical race theory. That was also a very good one. Mm -hmm. And then, lighter quote to finish off this god-awful day, by the unforsakens, babysitters or teenagers acting like grown so grown-ups can go out and act like teenagers. <laughs> yep. And thus we have arrived on January 14th, a Saturday. In global news, Peru's president Baluarte has apologized for the deaths in last month's violence, also said she would rule out her own departure. Mm. At least 42 people, mostly civilians, have been killed in riots following the arrest of her predecessor Castillo. Jolly. Biden supports Japan's plan to form the third strongest army in the world. Cold War 2.0 is still going strong. England is going to ban a wide range of disposable plastic items. This includes cutlery, balloon sticks, food bowls, and some plastic cups. The ban will take effect in October, giving companies enough time to switch to alternatives. According to the ministry, the ban will have a major impact on the environment. Disposable cutlery was in the top 15 of litter in England. Wow. Okay then. Maybe we should all do this? In the Israeli city of Tel Aviv, 80,000 people took to the streets to demonstrate against the radical right-wing government of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. According to the DPA news agency, it is the largest anti-government protest to date. Are you still for the people if this many people are up in arms against you? Hmm. Critics therefore fear for the rights of minorities such as Palestinians and people from the LGBTQ community. And the changes could also allow Netanyahu to avoid a possible conviction or even have his case dropped altogether. Yeah, when that enters into the equation, you're instantly shady. Then there's some more disconcerting news. Wisconsin Republicans block a ban on conversion therapy, thus again allowing so-called therapists and counselors to try and change LGBTQ clients' gender identities and sexual orientation. I mean, we've all heard the horror stories. This is just, it cannot be corrected, altered. It is what it is. Conversion therapy is traumatizing, damaging, it's killed people. In addition, Missouri Republicans passed a new rule banning women from attire that exposes their arms. After they've already passed a rule requiring women to cover their dress with a second layer. I'm sorry, are you Republicans or Taliban? And since when did those two have a very large crossover? Like, since when do y'all agree? 
Well, when you think about it, that's the whole problem. Republicans are very hypocritical. Their so-called disapproval of Taliban antics carries a little less weight when you realize that they themselves share a lot of similar convictions. I mean, in the United States, they have now passed a rule banning women from exposing their arms? Jesus fucking Christ, how much damage was done to you to take such an offense to a lady's arms? And in celebrity news, John Fogarty, the singer and guitarist of CCR, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and writer of most of their songs, fought for the rights of his music for a decade. In the mid-1960s, shortly after founding what would later become CCR, he struck a deal with the music label of the savvy film and music producer Saul Zanz. It later turned out that it was less of a contract and more signing away of all your rights. And in Dutch, we have a particular term for it, burgercontract, but in English, I can't really find a translation, but, you know, signing your rights away and the closest I can come to is slavery as in you do all the labor and you see no payoff or payout if someone knows the actual proper translation other than slavery because somehow it doesn't sound like the correct term for this situation seeing the cultural load that that word brings along with it I'm happy to learn it but fortunately, after a 50-year legal... He now owns the global publishing rights to the iconic rock band song. A 50-year legal battle for his work. Jesus H. fucking Christ. The audacity that someone would willfully, continuously, judicially get away with usurping another man's work. But yeah, now that I say it out loud. <laughs> that's basically how our world... Well, I don't want to say that's how our world works because that's true. That's how a few very powerfully situated people are allowed to behave. But I'm very thankful that John Fogg finally now owns his work again. The mother of one of Jeffrey Dahmer's victims is furious at Evan Peters' win and acceptance speech at the Golden Globes. She says these kinds of movies and series glorify the serial killers making money off tragedy while the victims' families never see a cent, yet go through these emotions every single day. And these kinds of portrayals are re-traumatizing. She continues, there's a lot of sick people around the world and people winning acting roles from playing killers keeps the obsession going. And this makes sick people thrive on the fame. And I have to say, I agree with her. Like, I do not understand our society's obsession with serial killers and I mean I say that also knowing that I watch Law and Order Special Victims Unit and Criminal Minds and I watch those shows and I watch those kinds of movies mainly to try and understand the criminal evolution like what makes someone do something like that and more from a psychological standpoint that I just want to understand also to educate myself in how to recognize the signs how to protect myself even maybe from those particular people I also know that we all know the serial killer's name and we don't really know the victim's name. And I find it quite offensive that they make a lot of money off of these kinds of movies and television shows and indeed the people that live it, lived it, are apparently even used some of their victim statements that they don't see any form of compensation. If you make these kinds of movies, fine, knock yourself out. You know, I view it as education and not sensationalizing and I think that's also a very fine line that you need to walk both as a writer, actor, director. Like, don't glorify it. On one hand, if you portray the character convincingly that's good acting that makes the story come alive but especially when you're dealing with not fiction but reality you need to tread very carefully and keep strong focus on not sensationalizing and glorifying these kinds of people and that when you do get attention or acclaim or awards you show humility and put the spotlight on the survivors of the people that lost loved ones because of that horrific tragedy that is how you should go about this I think, in a humane way, but that's just my two cents.
Then in Dutch news, medicine scarcity has reached a record high. Last year, there were more than 1,500 shortages. The Ministry of Health Services says it's important to come up with a European approach to the medicine shortages. Scarcity is a global problem and can really only be tackled internationally. Yeah, pharmaceutical companies expecting them to show some solidarity? <laughs> You're welcome to try. Good luck with that. And this podcast today is just all about ableism and apparently one in five guide dogs are refused in shops, restaurants, and even taxis. Since 2016, the UN Convention of the Rights of People with Disabilities has been enforced in the Netherlands and is officially law. This means that a guide dog is always welcome in public spaces. The other way around, refusing a guide dog is equivalent to refusing the owner and is therefore discrimination on the basis of a disability. However, apparently to this day, guide dogs are often refused. I mean, for fuck's sake, educate society. Hashtag inclusion matters. Blind people are dependent on these kinds of services, on a guide dog, on being able to take a taxi, yet can't deny them access to the things that help them gain a form of independence. Fuck's sake. This is in the Netherlands, a country that's so-called so fucking tolerant and progressive. And I mean, as a kid with the whole legalizing gay marriage as the first or one of the first in the world, I was proud of that title. But honey bunny, we we are not tolerant and progressive if ever we were because sweet baby Jesus, a guide dog. The fact that people even doubt the validity of allowing those animals access just goes to show how little you know. And that again just reiterates the fact that inclusion is not a fact and it should be because it matters. Because when people are educated, these kinds of incidents don't happen and people that have disabilities can still effectively participate in society as we Demo should. And then in personal news, my long lost package has arrived! And I think I understand why it took a little detour. Apparently, some broke. There was this banner with a wooden stick in it, and the wooden stick stuck out and it snapped when they tried to, I assume, shove it back in there. Bummer. So I'm actually kind of glad that the shop sent me doubles because now I at least have one that's still intact. Yay! I continue on working on my podcast movie episode, trying to find my flow. Then in quotes, there was this one by at a guy with the hair official. If you think your religion, God, deity is what makes you a good person, I don't think you are a good person. Yeah, well, that's a debatable quote. I wonder what y'all think about that one. I see where he's coming from, especially seeing that a lot of people are hiding behind their religion and, you know, saying it's the Christian thing to do. It's not necessarily a religion, morally coded activity, behavior. It's just the humane thing to do. It's showing your humanity. And humanity is not equivalent to religion and vice versa. Because we all know that the most pun intended, no pun intended, god awful things that have happened in the past and are currently still happening are oftentimes in the name of religion. But on the other hand, I also do truly see and believe in the beauty of religion. It gives you a sense of community, of belonging, of a higher purpose, support. Those are the things about religion that I really truly love. So I, when I was younger, I would call myself an atheist, but I don't now because yes, I do still believe in something, in a, a transcendent, I think the official title is Omniism, that I'm an Omnius, and while some say that means that I believe in God and all religions, it's, I believe that there is more than we can comprehend or see or understand as of yet, and I think that there's truth in every religion, so there, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> 
a final quote that today, after the week I had, really hit home by Donna Ashworth. You, if every single person who has liked you in your lifetime were to light up on a map, it would create the most glitteringly beautiful network you could imagine. Throw in the strangers you've been kind to, people you've made laugh or inspired along the way, and that star bright network of you would be an impressive sight to behold. You are so much more than you think you realize. You're trailing a bright pathway that you don't even know about. What a thing. What a thing indeed. After the week I had, and I imagine after the episode as of yet, there was a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a lot of feels. This one slowed me down and also made me appreciate how far I've come and that my life really, even though it sometimes feels like one giant battle and that the world feels very unfair, that there is still so much beauty in the smallest of interaction and that yes, I still endeavor to be kind to people. And I also know that sometimes when I'm reaching my limit, that takes a lot out of me. Sometimes I, I look back on it and go like, oh, could have done that better but then i try to forgive myself and try to recharge so that i can again be kind and friendly but yeah this overall made me realize like how many people's lives have touched mine and hopefully i've touched others and that kind of made life worth living again and after the week i had i need a little good news So this episode is already way longer than I intended, but there were a lot of very important topics to tackle, I think. I hope you all agree. So, on to the last day, January 15th, Sunday. In global news, at least 10 people seem to have been killed in an attack on a church in Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Dozens of people have also been in the bomb exploded during a baptismal service. Really? During a baptism? Like, you kind of want to ask, is there nothing sacred? But when you're bombing people, I think that kind of answers itself. Oh, yeah. Then in celebrity news, the Romanian authorities have seized money and goods worth 3.6 million euros in the criminal investigation into British influencer and schmuckety asshole, former kickboxer Andrew Tate. Good. Sorry, but there's just no redeeming quality in that fella. Well, other than he made. Is this before or after Greta Thunberg did that thing? I don't remember. It was funny. It made me laugh. I think that's still to come. I'ma save that little nugget. And you know, this is recorded way after and you're gonna listen to this even way, way after. So you probably already know what I mean. But you know, for now, let's just try and pretend. This was just still January 15th. Okay. And then in sad again, celebrity death news. Lord Almighty, it really needs an additional header. Evil Knievel at the age of 60 has died. Or the dude known as Evil Knievel died. The man was an institution. And then in Dutchie news, suspects were arrested last night after a stabbing incident in a youth care facility, and they are 16 and 19 years old. A supervisor from the institution, a 26-year-old woman, was killed in stabbing. I mean, told ya, people are dying. In recent months, 25 players from professional football have gambled on matches in which they have played. This is a criminal offense under football regulations. Uh, yeah, it's like insider trading. Hello. It concerns six players from the Dutch Premier League and 19 first division soccer players. Also two amateur players from the second division. Well, we all know what we do with insider traders, right? And then to round it all off with some personal nuggets, while working on my podcast, suddenly doubt strikes like crazy. I mean, so many people are already doing this. Do I really have anything to add? Is there even someone that wants to listen to all my ramble? So yeah, existential crisis. Hello. And then there was a quote by Otrio Stationery. If someone from the 1950s appeared today, what would be the most difficult thing to explain to them about life today? And then someone answered, I possess a device in my pocket that is capable of accessing the entirety of information known to man. And I use it to look at pictures 
of cats and get in arguments with strangers. <laughs> it's a good summary. Not entirely applicable to my situation, but yeah, pretty close. And then another quote was by at Pretty Naughty. When you're trying to have a positive attitude, but life keeps testing you. And then with the meme of Squidward with SpongeBob with the twitching eye. Yeah, that's me on a bad day. That's me making this episode <laughs> a bit, but I love it. And fuck it, we're just gonna record it, edit it, and just throw it out there and see what happens. Be gentle, please. Yeah.